ESPN Plus, Disney Plus, Hulu Plus, Paramount Plus, Apple TV Plus. Aren't there enough of these pluses out there? Well, not yet. Yes, it's Lance and Matt Plus, a new podcast presented by WFOB and WBBI. Okay, now we've got enough pluses. So let's join Lance Morris and Matt Kaufman for Lance and Matt Plus. Welcome on into this edition of Lance and Matt Plus, a podcast exclusively heard online through WFOB and WBVI.com, along with Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. I'm Lance Morris. He's Matt Common. Matt, how we doing? You know, for a brief leading moment, I thought you forgot about us here on Lance and Matt Plus. Many moons have passed since we've recorded our last show. Many days, many suns, many sets. It's been it's been a while. I mean, it's only been two weeks, and we've just been slammed with baseball uh, playoff action. But no, I'm doing great, man. I- I'm excited that we're getting the show going again, getting this up and running. Uh, we've finally actually gotten summer weather, as opposed to you know getting teased with it like, oh, it's going to be 80, and then the next day 20. It's been like in the high 80s, high 70s, like pretty consistently. So, you know, dare I say it? Bye-bye sweatpants, hello shorts. We don't know. We'll find out together. You actually also wore sweatpants to We are not games. talking about that, okay? And you have the least amount of excuses because it was a game basically in your neck of the woods. So you had proper proper time, proper resources to know, oh, it's going to be a little toasty. Maybe not wear sweatpants and yet you show up in sweatpants your your response okay so my response (laughs) is threefold one i never throw you publicly under the bus about wardrobe decisions like you just did there well number one number about wardrobe decisions i'll throw you under the bus about a lot of things because my wardrobe is better than yours bro we're not gonna go there right now we're not gonna go there right now i mean it's true we're not gonna go there right now (laughs) number two just because it was in my neck of the woods does not mean I had the wherewithal to actually one, check the weather or two, actually check and see if the field had a press box. That's way more work than I'm usually obligated to do. And number three, uh, if you're confused, just refer to item number one and number two, <laughs> I guess, because I don't have a good number three for that one today. Yes, I I did wear sweatpants and end up being like 85 degrees for that game in particular. And I was practically dying as I was slow roasting in that press box. But hey, we we, da- we got the game in. We did the game. That's all that matters. Yes, exactly. Though I, I'm pretty sure I lost like five pounds just in sweat on that day alone. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, maybe maybe that's something we just do just in general. That's like anything above 40 degrees. I'm practically ready for shorts. I, I'm, I'm fairly confident. I'm part polar bear. The, the Northern Ohio thick Nordic blood in me that can just survive winters without any issue. I, I cook during the summer, man. I just absolutely cook. We have of course an exciting episode here today for what is now our ninth episode of Lance and Matt plus. So next one we'll, finally be getting up into that double digit mark we'll of course Woo-hoo! we'll of course talk nba playoffs as matt woos and we'll talk a little bit about what we've seen thus far in 
the postseason. We'll also talk our top five playoff memories of all time in the NBA that we actually have versus just saying Michael Jordan was amazing, Michael Jordan was amazing, Michael Jordan was amazing. We'll actually talk a little bit more modern playoff memories. And then, of course, with it finally starting to heat up outside and feel like the summer, we'll give our top five summer foods as only Matt and I can, of course. But let's first take a look at the NBA playoffs. In the East, Brooklyn against Milwaukee. They had game two last night. Brooklyn dominates that one, 125-86. Sixers versus Hawks. Hawks were able to steal game one on the road in that series with Joel Embiid being banged up. In the West, Nuggets taking on the Suns. They started their series last night. Suns were able to win that one, 122-105. And then Clippers versus Jazz. That one starts tonight. What a... What matter are your thoughts on what we've seen in the postseason thus far? I mean, obviously, the Clippers, uh, no one really expected them to win that series after losing their first two games at home, but then they go they go and take both games in Dallas, and Luka goes off in Game 7, and the Mavs still can't uh, overcome the Clippers in that one. That's probably been the closest series thus far. I think it was the only one that went 7 as well. So what uh, what are some of the things you've, uh, you've seen in the uh, NBA postseason so far? Well, the big thing I've seen is even though there's a change in the guard in terms of who the superstars in the NBA are, I mean, you're starting to see this change in the guard. You're seeing new stars coming in and really starting to take over this league. I mean, you saw with Luca, you saw Trey Young in Atlanta and the fact that they won, you've seen what they're doing in New York with guys like RJ Barrett. You've seen uh, just some of these great young talent in the talented players of the West, like John Morant, um, even though he didn't make it, Zion Williamson, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges from Phoenix, all of these big star players that are up and coming and starting to take the league into their own and craft in their own image. At the end of the day, the biggest story is still that LeBron didn't get out of the first round. A a 36 year old dude is the biggest story in the NBA. And for good reason, because it's the first time it's happened in NBA in his NBA history, not in NBA history period, but it's the first time it's happened to him. First time getting knocked out in the first round in his entire career. And for me, that was just, I I wasn't necessarily shocked because I had pegged Phoenix as one of those teams that I was really looking at that could make a deep run and possibly win the whole thing this year. Um, I, I was surprised at how human he looked without really any help whatsoever on that LA Lakers team. So I, I would say I was surprised about that. Sticking with the Lakers, I am very surprised there's still people out there saying that Anthony Davis is a top 10 player in the NBA based on what I've seen from him this season. And it it's just seems like the wheels are coming off the tracks with him. I'm thoroughly shocked at the meltdown in Boston. When it comes to Brooklyn, trash organization, trash team. As I say, every time I bring them up, the earth is round, Kyrie, get over it. Um, I'm slightly impressed that they've been able to start pulling it together, but I don't necessarily know what we're going to get out of them for the rest of this Milwaukee series, because you're making Giannis, you know, angry. And you wouldn't like Giannis when he's angry. 
So it, 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 it's been a mixed bag for this playoff so far. Some of the teams I was really hoping to see really make a run or go a little bit further kind of fell flat. Um, I was really, I was way, way higher on Washington than everyone else was. And evidently I was high on my own supply because it was just Russell Westbrook. And that was pretty much it. So (laughs) I, I, I'm, I'm trying to catch up with the playoffs right now because it's been like, like you said, it's honestly, it's been kind of uneventful. Would you get the same vibe from this postseason so far that, I mean, outside of like the occasional someone gets hurt or something like that, it's been kind of uneventful and has kind of gone chalk for the most part of this postseason. Yeah, I would definitely say it has. Injuries have already played a big factor between Embiid being banged up and now Harden having having his hamstring injury that oh, no, could be the worst time so for them. Why? I, I get you don't like the Nets, but you shouldn't be happy that a human is hurt. I'm not sad. I'm not happy that he's hurt. It's I'm already dreading the NBA on TNT coverage of whenever he comes back from a game and they do the super slow-mo of look at the pained anguish on his face every time he travels, yet somehow the NBA doesn't call it a traveling. Look at the... Look at him wincing every time he throws up a jumper. It's like, get over James Harden. He, he, he's a basket drainer. I get that. But that's all he does. I just I, I've never understood the James Harden absurd hype around him. And it's only gotten worse since he went to Brooklyn. So, no, I, I do not wish ill on him. I don't want him to get hurt. But I am already dreading a... Joe Buck fawning over Kyle Schwarber-esque coverage of James Harden for the rest of this postseason because he hurt his hamstring. I don't think that'll happen. Am I am I reading tea leaves there, or am I just hopeful for the media? Oh, you're way too hopeful. You, you're you're twelve. We've been over this a few times. How can I have been twelve for four years? Well, you've been 12 for it's yeah. I don't have time to explain how the math works, Lance. I mean, I, we do have time. We have a podcast. We can make this as long as we want, but you have a lunch coming up. We don't have time for this sort of thing, but here's the thing. The media, and this is well, us talking about us here. Cause I'm not going to be one of those people like, Oh, we're outside media. No, we're media. We work for ESPN we we work. We, we work for the mothership. We are not outsider media here by any means. But the, the fact of the matter is the media loves three things more than anything else. A comeback story, an underdog story, or someone playing through an injury. Paul Pierce practically got a Renaissance era painting drawn of him when he went down with that injury against LeBron way back in the day and magically came out in the second half and played like he did had to be carted off in a wheelchair, agonizing, wincing every time the chair moved horrific pain, screaming and yelping yet 10 minutes later, he's magically fine. And the the NBA media just ate it up. They did the same thing with, God, basically everybody. The only time they've actually done it legitimately for a good reason, in my opinion, was Jordan's flu game. 
that that's like okay this dude has we have quantifiable measurements that he is horribly ill and should not be playing in this game but he is that's cool that's something we should talk about so for me with the media i they're they're already starting to do it with Joel Embiid, but I think that's just because they really want this series to go seven between Brooklyn and Philly. So, or or they really want it to be Brooklyn versus Philly, excuse me, since they're playing two separate teams. Um, but I, I can already see them talking about how Harden is the hardest working player in the NBA, one of the most pained and aggressive players. His tenacity knows no bounds. Please, he cried his way out of Houston. Get get him down off the cross. We need the wood. Do you feel better? I do. I really don't like Brooklyn. Like, if, if there's any team in the NBA right now, I do not want to see win an NBA championship. It is the Brooklyn Nets trash organization trash team. But anyway, I'm done. I'm 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 done with my rant about the Nets. We we can go back to the rest of the playoffs now. I mean, you you have this hate for teams that are essentially building teams the way they choose to build teams. Whereas if it's free agency, like there's no rules against what they're doing. And they no, traded and, for James Harden. And here's the thing. I will completely stand by that statement. You're absolutely right. There is not a single rule stipulation or regulation that states you cannot build a team any particular way except if it's Chris Paul getting traded to the Lakers then the NBA is going to put their foot down on that one there's my problem they 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 pushed and towed the line and forced the hand of New Orleans at the time to not trade him to the Lakers, but to go ahead and trade him to the Clippers instead. And they did that because, and I quote, NBA owners were concerned about league parity if Chris Paul went to an LA Lakers team that at the time had, I'm pretty sure they had Dwight Howard and Kobe Bryant on the team at the same time. So... They, they, they'll step in for that one. They don't step in when Oklahoma City has to gut their roster. They don't step in when Toronto has to ship off guys like DeMar DeRozan. Now, to be fair, they did it to get Kawhi Leonard. It was a bit of a trade-off. But then that very next year, they don't step in when the Clippers get Kawhi Leonard and then trade for Paul George, thereby continuing to gut Oklahoma City. They don't step in when Paul George announces a year and a half in advance that he refuses to sign with Indiana. With Indiana, They don't step in when Houston tries and fails like for the third time to build a super team down there through trades. It's It was convenient that they stepped in in one situation ever since they've taken their foot off the gas and hands off the wheel. And the, the league doesn't have any parity anymore. I mean, you're, you might get it back with some of these younger guys, but come on, it's going to be in, until the Nets get broken up, it's going to be the Nets versus whoever's going to get whooped by them in the Eastern Conference Finals versus most likely, based on paper and based on chalk, the Clippers and then probably the Suns. And out of those four teams, the Suns are the only ones 
actually built a majority of that team through the draft between Booker, Bridges, and Aiton. Yeah, they got Chris Paul in a trade, and had and that's a big free agent signing if they do re-sign him. But that's one piece as opposed to the whole team getting built that way. I where I have an issue is a team a team basically taking the fantasy sport way out to get yourself a title. I really think it devalues a championship if you do it that way. And that's as a Cleveland fan who the Cavs kind of did the same thing in 2016. Now, having said that, where I'd make the Cavs thing a little bit different is they came back from a three, one series deficit. So it's, and you dealt with injuries a majority of the time you dealt with other things and it really turned into just LeBron and Kyrie were the reasons they won that final. So two of a big three, not all big three, not all big four, like the nets have or big three and a half, like the Clippers have, or a big three and a quarter that Philly has. It's I, I, I think it takes away the value of what an NBA championship is if it's all these teams just making what amounts to AAU superstar teams for two years at a time and then blowing the whole thing up. Like for my money, 2015 Golden State Warriors, phenomenal NBA title worthy of the NBA championship. I don't think they would have won it had Kyrie not got hurt and Kevin Love been hurt, but they deserved it. 2017 and 2018, trash teams absolutely should have an asterisk on it because they had an all pro roster that they went out and bought specifically just to beat Cleveland. So that, that that's that my, my hate is not towards the action because it's perfectly allowed. It's perfectly legal. It is perfectly justified. My hate is towards the fact that in my view, it wildly devalues NBA championships. It wildly devalues league championships because that could happen in baseball. It could happen in football as well. That it it just devalues it. If you just go out and straight up buy it, then what's the point of having a season? So what it really comes down to, at least in your mindset and your view, is it's all essentially centered around Kevin Durant between the Warriors and what he's done so far with the Nets. Not so much just Kevin Durant, because I can go back to the 2008 Boston Celtics. I think that was a trash team. You, you go out and buy it with Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen to go along with Paul Pierce. Then you can go back to... Yeah, they, they, they traded for those guys. No, they, I, pre, I thought they signed Ray Allen. They no, they because they traded, they traded for well, they traded for KG, and then signed Ray Allen. If yeah. I'm remembering that correctly, the, I'm pretty sure that's how it was. But even the Miami team, with LeBron, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, honestly, there's part of that where that was starting to be part of the problem too. I can also say in a failed example of it, the New York Knicks when they had Carmelo Anthony. That was another example. It's where I have the issue is not so much Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is just the latest prime example of someone damaging their legacy just to be a Merc. 
because we, we you talked during our intro about playoff moments of, oh, Jor- Jordan did this and Jordan did that and Jordan did these things. Well, the reason we could say that is because Jordan was going against Isaiah Thomas. He was going against David Robinson. He was going against Hakeem Olajuwon. He, he was going against these superstars that never in a million years would have then said, oh, man, we just lost to Jordan. Oh, man. Well, Sacramento's got enough payroll. Let's all sign there and we can beat them next time. No, there, there was a semblance of pride outside of, I'm just going to sign four other superstars and just buy myself a title. That That's where I have a fundamental issue is it boils down to you're buying a title. I mean, I'll, I'll throw this out there as a hypothetical. You play a lot more online video gaming than I do. Correct. Just a fact. Who are the worst types of players? The people. The pay, the, the the, pay to win types, right? Well, that's, I mean, that's a whole problem within some of those game modes. That's definitely, that's definitely yeah. a case. But, but d- d- does anyone value a pay to win player? I mean, it's, well, the the problem with that argument is in some of those game modes it is literally if you don't do that you are at a big disadvantage but speaking from kind of a general perspective uh one of the things I'll do when I play 2K if I'm not playing in the with like the my players is mm-hmm. I will play it'll essentially be like an all-star team up where you can pick essentially whoever you want as long as their position lines yeah. up versus east versus the west i okay, well, i very rarely pick michael jordan because it's too easy at least to me to just be awesome with michael jordan i will pick other players that are you know very good but not you know 99 however many different stats that michael jordan is in 2k and i will constantly tell people if they are literally essentially abusing the fact that they have Michael Jordan and you're not actually good, you're just you're pressing X and RT to run and dunk because Michael Jordan almost always gets the contact dunk animation. So the point I'm getting at with that one, because you brought up an interesting caveat there where it's like, well, there's some types of gameplay where if you don't pay to win, you're at a severe disadvantage. You just you stumbled into my bigger issue, not just devaluing championships and what it in terms of pride of the teams. You're now making the NBA a pay to win type of enterprise. Doing this, you kind of did the same thing to Major League Baseball, but so many teams went small ball, it kind of reverse affected on them where the teams with the bigger payroll seem to struggle now. Case in point, Philly, after signing millions upon millions to Bryce Harper and JT Real Mudo, they, they haven't really been super successful yet. But in the NBA, the, the league is genuinely turning into a you-have-to-pay-to-win type of gameplay. So, I mean, let, let's say, off chance, Cleveland ends up with the number one pick of the draft. I hope they don't, but continue. So do I, because... Kobe Altman is a moron and he'll just draft another point guard. And I, I don't want Jalen Suggs. I don't want Cade Cunningham. I, I don't want Good, any I do. more point. Huh? Good. Cause I do want them. 
I just I I don't want either one of those guys in a Cavs uniform. We have enough blessed point guards. But let's say they get the number one pick in the draft. Whoever they draft is a superstar. The way the East is set up right now, will the Cavs be anything higher than the seventh seed? Because of all the super teams that are getting built. They wouldn't be ahead of any of the teams still in the playoffs. They wouldn't be ahead of Brooklyn, Milwaukee, the Sixers, or the Hawks. Would they be ahead of the Knicks? Now, the Knicks did it in a unique way. They became an island of misfit toys and somehow built a super team. See, with at least with the Knicks, it just so much it so much hinges on if Julius Randle was a flash in the pan this year and if he reverts to no. the Julius Randle we've seen for most of his career or if he continues to play at that level or somewhere close to that level. If he does, then I would not put the Cavs over that team, no. Would, would you put them over the Washington Wizards with Bradley Beal, um, Westbrook, and I, I always mess up mess up his name, the uh, Ryu or Ryu guy? Ryu Hachimura. Who's, yeah, who's a very solid third rotation guy for them. Assuming are, assuming Westbrook and Beal are healthy, at least for the most part, I would not put them over that Wizards team either, no. Okay, so that kind of proves my – at minimum, a team that has the number one pick has a good young core talent that they've built up through trades and drafting. The way the NBA is set up right now can at best hope to be a seventh seed. And that's if they're really lucky. Now, I, I'll, I'll take this uh, – I'll take this deep dive because we've clearly deviated from our playoff topic here. But I'll take this deep dive to your team. Your team's the Orlando Magic. Correct. You love you some Orlando Magic. Correct. Good, bad, or indifferent. Were they not a fun team to watch when they had guys like Aaron Gordon, Vesuvic, and some of the players they've had come through there over the last couple years? Yeah, they've definitely. I mean, they've definitely been a fun team at Wouldn't times. It be more fun to be a fan of them, knowing that they don't have to be a minor league team for whatever NBA team is going to mark their players after five years. I mean, I'm that's that's probably not an appropriate question because. I lived the Dwight Howard experience, so. Well, but see, there's my point. You, you've lived it. I mean, I, as a Cavs fan, have lived it with LeBron bailing for Miami. It's we, we come from fan bases where we've been the one left at the altar on more than one occasion. So, I mean, God, even for you, I mean, you had Shaq back in the mid-90s to go and be with Kobe in L.A. That was another super team right there. My God, the they, last year they were... The Magic were... So, so, so close. Yes. They were so close to having a big three of Tracy McGrady, Grant Hill, and Tim Duncan. They yeah. they almost got him away from the Spurs. And at the last moment, Pop and company come in and like, you, you don't really want to leave, do you? And he's like, oh, no, you're right. I don't. And that, yeah, that was that. And even going back to that one it's back to a big three conversation. Jordan, the the only guy in his run that came in via free agency was Dennis Rodman. 
otherwise that was a team that was drafted and built. It wasn't a team that was bought. Good, bad, or indifferent, the San Antonio Spurs, for all their runs they had, was a team that was built. It was not a team that was bought. The Sixers, to an extent, because they've done some moves. I mean, Tobias Harris was a pretty big move when they made that one, but still, it's still built around Embiid and Ben Simmons. If they were to win, that's a championship team that was built. It wasn't bought. There is where I have a fundamental issue with these super teams out there. It's the little guy building up the right way, finding the one big free agent or the one key piece out there in free agency or two key pieces out there in free agency that makes the difference makes them a competitive team, makes them a quality championship caliber team when the NBA has some semblance of parity, it is now going up against the all-pro team 16 games out of the year because it just so happens that they're in the same conference and Brooklyn starting five are all all-stars. That, that's just it. It takes so much of the fun out of the game. It devalues titles. It devalues the pride that some of these players claim to play with because i love lebron i think he's a very proud person a very prideful player and i think he's incredibly helpful to the community to the area and he's on the nba's rushmore i can't imagine he has a lot of pride in some of his nba titles because he basically had to go and buy them though like some of these other guys have that cleveland one okay he did that one on his own Second one in Miami definitely was on his own because D Wade was not going as well, but that incredible shot from Ray Allen certainly helped things in that one. The last year in LA in the bubble. Yeah, he kind of did that. That one's kind of on him, I would say. But I can't imagine he feels too proud about that first one in Miami. I can't imagine he feels too great about, even though they lost some of the finals here in Cleveland where they practically bought the team to try and win it. It's the, those, it takes away from the value of the player and their legacy as well. And I, I would like to see that get corrected because David Stern would never stand for that as evidenced by the fact that he 86 the trade for Chris Paul. But Adam Silver is just letting it run amok. And at this point, it's it's a bridge too far gone for me with the NBA. So here's here, here's what it ultimately comes down to. Go for it. Teams essentially have to do their version of the baseball model. They have to draft well. You have to, if you have the pieces make a trade for one of these big name guys that maybe only has a year or two left on their deal. And you got to hope you strike iron in that way. Like kind of essentially what Toronto did. They, they did, you know, they try, I assume they, I'm pretty sure they traded for Lowry at one point before he ends up re-signing with them and becomes kind of a fixture in Toronto, but they build that team with DeRozan. They make some extra moves after they end up trading for Kawhi. They end up getting Marcus Gasol and have some other pieces around him. And they essentially hope for the flash in the pan year where they everything comes together, where Pascal Siakam, a guy you drafted 
in the latter parts of the first round becomes an all-star caliber player for at least some stretch of time. And that's exactly what ends up happening. And you can you can make the same argument there that Toronto only wins the title because Kevin Durant gets hurt again and because Klay Thompson gets hurt and tears his ACL and we haven't seen him on a basketball court since. I think that's part one. And part two is entirely on that players know how narratives go beyond their career. They, they've seen what has happened to Charles Barkley. They've seen what have happened to Patrick Ewing and other, other guys that, despite having really good, really great careers, they always bring up, oh, didn't win a title. Iverson, same, same, similar thing with them, was awesome, didn't win a title. They know that if they don't win a title, it's going to be one of the first things that are brought up whenever you say their name. So because of that, you can like it and you cannot like it, and obviously you're not a fan of it, but you're not going to be able to say, oh, LeBron didn't win a title, Kevin Durant didn't win a title. Those guys, you can you can be upset with how it happened, you can criticize it, you can say all those different things you want, but at the end of the day, if whatever percent of the league is doing just that, as we've seen with LeBron before, with Durant now, with Kawhi and Paul George, with the Clippers, that sort of thing. If everybody that is at those top places in the league is doing it, how can you really go and say that they're doing anything that they shouldn't do? Because they're, they, they've, they've learned that as the NBA can, they control the narrative more than they can in any other sport. Football players, unless you're tippity-top, quarterback Aaron even Aaron Rodgers we're seeing it with Aaron Rodgers has his power struggle in Green Bay going on I mean we're seeing it across all other sports but with basketball because there's so few guys because there's only five guys on the court at a time because even depending on if your coach is interchangeable coaches become interchangeable if your superstar is not a fan of them if it that's essentially what basketball is becoming you can you cannot be a fan of it all you want but at the end of the day until there's some way to regulate it, to to change it to where players don't have the movement and the power that they do. This is going to keep happening. And uh, I'm going to address both your points, but one, one thing right off the jump. One of the things I don't disagree with is the fact that players have this much flexibility, that they are professional athletes playing in a limited capacity sport where their time in the league is very limited. You don't really have a guaranteed, oh, I'm going to be at this job for 17 years and I'm going to get a pension. No, it's the NBA. If you twist wrong coming down from a rebound, that's the end of your career. And hopefully you have something else in your back pocket. So I'm never going to be one of the people to criticize player movement. Um, In regards to the Raptors finals, I do agree with that, but injuries versus having built a super team. I think those are two different types of narratives. And for these players, you bring up a great point about the narrative, about the story, about what, what their legacy becomes. They talk about Patrick Ewing and Charles Barkley and the fact that they couldn't get a title. Now we'll use those two specifically. 
but they still got there. They still ended up in the Hall of Fame. They still have their legacy intact of being some of the premier players in the history of the game. The reason they bring up, oh, they didn't win a title is not, oh, he's a bum. He didn't win a title. It's God, it's a shame he didn't win a title. It's that they're taking the wrong lesson from the narrative. The lesson from the narrative should be instead of, well, if we don't win a title, no one will ever respect us. No, it's you get that much more respect if you win a title. Because let's call it as it is. We're in an era right now where Russell Westbrook has spent three years in a row averaging a triple-double. No one besides Oscar Robertson has done that. Russell Westbrook is easily cementing his status as one of the premier players at his position in the history of the NBA. And we're seeing that with Steph Curry. We're seeing that with Damian Lillard. We're seeing that with Kyrie Irving. We're seeing that with a lot of point guards out there in the NBA right now. You, you could pick any position and you can rattle off players that fit that category, that fit that narrative. But when you gather them all together, like what Brooklyn did, and for this one instance, I will not say what I usually say immediately following saying the Brooklyn Nets. When you gather them all together, put them on one team, theoretically just absolutely lay siege to the rest of the NBA. How's your legacy not tarnished? Because then the argument becomes, well, he couldn't do it alone. Or, well, he couldn't do it here. He had to go and be with insert other player's name. So I'd, I'd make the argument, honestly, for James Harden and Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant is, oh, he, could, he couldn't win a title on his own, so he had to go get one with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. Oh, James Harden couldn't win a title on his own, so he had to go get one with Kyrie Irving. If you're the person that's going to get one with another player, you're only helping their legacy. I, I think you've done squat for your own legacy at that point. But that, that's just me as an old curmudgeon <laughs> as well that bears emphasizing. So that that's where I've, it, I think they're taking the wrong narrative away from it where, okay, if you want to be, well, I'm one of the greats. I'm one of the all time. I'm one of the top 10. Cool. Then be one of the all time greats and be one of the top 10. If you're so worried about the NBA titles, don't ask for a max contract, take a pay cut. So your team can sign the complimentary players that they need to help you win. Don't demand trades for a guy who's only got two years left on his contract. Rather, ask them to use that draft capital to build players that you can build around and that you can raise their game up and become one of those top 10 players. Good, bad, or indifferent, and I have a lot of good, bad, or indifference to say about it. Dwayne Wade is one of those guys. He did that for a couple years. Then he completely jumped ship and went to the super team model. Oklahoma City was absolutely doing that with Durant, Westbrook, Serge Ibaka, Stephen Adams, and James Harden before they shipped them off and started breaking that up piece by piece. It's, I, I, I just go back to if you're worried about your legacy, I feel your legacy is even more tarnished by the fact that you had to jump ship and go to a super team 
than it is that you took the steps necessary to help the team that you were with build and become that champion. That that's that that's where I would end my little diatribe. Not little diatribe. It's been like a thirty minute diatribe, but that's that's where I'll end that thought process on that one. Yeah, we could definitely talk about that for uh, for a lot. Of, yeah, to lot be longer. fair, it's been two weeks off. We might as well take the time. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's that that's that 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 is what I'd say. If you're worried about legacy, then you're taking the wrong lessons away from Patrick Ewing and Charles Barkley, and you're clearly not hearing how people are saying didn't win a title. It's not, oh, what a bum, he didn't win a title. It's, oh, God, it's a shame he didn't win a title. Two completely different types of narratives there. You have definitely showed that you do not watch much of Inside the NBA because Shaq says that to Barkley pretty much every time he can. That's because it's Shaq, and Shaq hates Barkley. That'd be like if you had Tom Brady and Peyton Manning as part of a NFL insider show. Or more, no, let me rephrase, not, I mean, that was just a good rivalry, but they seem to respect each other. That'd be like having Terry Bradshaw and Turkey Jones doing an inside NFL access thing. That'd be like Roger Clemens and Mike Piazza doing a MLB pregame show. Of course they're going to rib on each other and rag on each other. They hated each other throughout their careers. That, 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 that's not on... That's not on this next generation of superstars' faults. That's TNT's fault for hiring fire and oil as their two commentators. But nonetheless, let's switch gears and talk about our top five playoff memories of all time in the NBA. And our caveat is they are our actual memories. So as great as Michael Jordan was, when he was doing his thing for the most part, I was either not alive or too young to remember things so it has I to be get to use jordan so it has to be yeah well yeah you can't so you, because of that our memories might be uh, a tad different than uh than each other's but i can tell you most of mine most of mine are in the last 10 10-ish plus years so i i think for my top because i've been trying to put together my top five as i've been on my soapbox i'm pretty sure only two of mine are outside the last like 10, 15 years as well. So it's a, uh, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's just two of them are outside the last 10, 15 years. So let's, let's get this started. We can, we can alternate back and forth for these. So for me, my number five moment or memory is just Dirk beating LeBron in the heat in 2011, because that was, it was, it was just such a great narrative between you know those different those different things we've basically spent the last four forty this minutes talking about. You have the Mavericks who built everything around Dirk, obviously drafting him in the late nineties, having him around their team forever. Mark Cuban eventually building that team back up once he bought them as the owner, and with every all the pieces they had around him, a lot of those guys were you know were definitely veterans at that point in time. You have those guys like Tyson Chandler, who had been a pretty good player for a lot of his career, but then turns into a defensive player of the year type guy. You have Jason Kidd, who, of course, had been a star at one point in his career, and because of age and different things like that, he you know settles down to kind of just be the veteran guy on that team. 
Sean Marion obviously had those moments with the Suns, you know, a handful of years before that and slowed down a little bit, but still was a very good defensive player for, for that 2011 team. And on the flip side, you have LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, everybody else that they brought in. I know they were rotating centers for that, like that, like whole that year and the next year, because that narrative still had been in place of, Oh, you need a center to be a really successful team. And then they just realized, um, actually we're better when Chris Bosh is our center and LeBron is our four and we can just spread everything out. And that's eventually they, they find that formula the next couple years to win a couple titles. And because of, because of those different styles and because of those different narratives and, you know, the narrative of, Oh, is Dirk finally going to get his title or is LeBron going to get his first title? I mean, having those narratives going back and forth. And then of course, watching the performances that Dirk has that Jason Terry, who I forgot to mention has when he's, you know, talking back and forth with the heat bench after game two. I mean, there's just so many moments in that series and Dirk, uh, Dirk coming out on top and getting his, his one title against that that Heat team that everybody thought pretty much going into that series that the Heat were going to win because of all the things we had seen for a year plus on that. So that's going to be my number five moment. So it, it, it's a close one. Because I'll tell you right now, my number five moment could have been that. Um, and I will say this. You, you, you kind of just exemplified my entire argument for me by picking that one right off the jump as one of your five greatest moments. Um, for me, I'm actually going to have to take it back a little bit further than that one. Um, mine is actually 2004 when the Pistons out of nowhere with Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton, and this relative unknown named Ben Wallace as their center beat Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, Carl Malone, and Gary Payton in the NBA Finals. That, that was the epitome of a team that got built exactly to be the type of team that they could be the best of their abilities with the style of play, what they were doing well, so that that entire series was just incredible to watch because you talk about narratives. Everyone knew that was the end of Kobe and Shaq. That that offseason, it was going to change. It was going to be different. There's no way they could keep this thing going. It had just become way too toxic. So you knew that was happening. Carl Malone and Gary Payton signed on as free agents at the absolute bitter ends of their careers solely just to try and get a title. I mean, that, that was it. It, it. it was going off of that same nonsense narrative. Carl Malone was the second leading scorer in NBA history. And my endearing memory of him is watching him flame out in horrific fashion, trying to murk his way for an NBA title at the end of his career when he spent the whole nineties trying to do it against LeBron with him and John Stockton. It was built the right way. What was that against Jordan? That's a fine. Well, it is against, I said against Jordan, didn't I? You said LeBron. Oh, my bad. I meant against Jordan. My apologies, but 2004, that Pistons team, the fact that they were able to beat that absolutely loaded superstar team, like they did 
that that one was impressive to watch. That's my number five. My number four is uh, it's going to be one you're not a fan of, and it would be magic. Ca- I bet it's it's not that that's we're saving that. Come on, number four for me is Durant nailing the three to help give the Warriors that three nothing series lead in 2017 in that first finals where he's on the Warriors against LeBron and the Cavs because the moment he starts to take that shot. You knew that shot was going in, and that pretty much said said the end of that series for the Cavs. Uh huh. You mad? No, I, I, all I kept hearing was Merck takes a Merck shot. So there we go. I'm, you I'm, say that I'm, like Kevin Durant wasn't dominant that entire series. Kevin Durant was dominant that entire series, and I would be too when I have this third best defender guarding me because I also have to guard Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. That's, I mean, sure. Must be nice to have my friends get things for me too. But that being said... I remember that next time you want something. Yeah, but you're also my boss. There's a completely different dynamic at when, when i ask for stuff it's not as a friend it's as your employee as your subordinate <laughs> i just choose to not give you that level of respect which is probably why you say no to me all the time yeah exactly but, <laughs> for me my number four you hurt me i'm gonna hurt you lebron's buzzer beater against the orlando magic that's cute who won that series by the way <laughs> um <laughs> Only reason for me that makes my top five. I mean, great shot. Obviously, the Magic did win that series in six. But to this day, I remember vividly, I was watching it. My dad, my brother, and I were all watching the game when the Cavs were down by two with like five seconds left or however much time was left. My my brother just turns the game off because he is a huge LeBron fan. And he was just like, I, I can't take it. I don't want to watch him lose again. I'm just, I'm done. And just kind of storms off. Very upset. I'm like, okay, fine. As uh, the game's probably over anyway. And I walked upstairs to my room and my dad kind of followed suit. And I was just like, I just want to see how it ends. So I just turn it on. And as I turn it on, it's the inbounds pass to LeBron and he drills the buzzer beater and uh, all of a sudden, I'm just losing my mind up in my room as my dad's like, what happened? It's like, they scored, they won, they won. <laughs> it's just great memory of seeing that buzzer beater, of seeing him just take that shot. Just, oh my God. That, that was probably the only time in that series I was sitting there going, you know what? I think the Cavs are going to win it. This is the year. And then, oh my God, we're going to get Kobe LeBron in the NBA finals. This is awesome. But clearly that didn't happen. So there's my number four. Not so fast, my friend, indeed. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, no kidding. Not so fast, my friend. Evidently, Mikhail Petrus had other ideas. Oh, he was so good that, se- that year. Oh, my gosh. No, just that me. series. He was only good that series. Don't don't take my memories away from me. <laughs> my number three, uh, another, another LeBron moment. Game six with the Heat against the Celtics in 2012 when they're, they're down 3-2 in that series. And everybody is saying, oh, looking looks like this might end up being being it for LeBron and for the big three and for that Heat team. And he goes off for 45 points and, of course, has that look that's 
one of those memes of LeBron, you know, staring just kind of blankly and bluntly like, oh, I'm going to kill you tonight. And that's that's what he did. And it was against the Celtics, against Paul Pierce, and nobody likes Paul Pierce, so. I don't like Paul Pierce. <laughs> Admittedly, during LeBron's run in Miami, that was the only series I would ever root for LeBron in Miami was just against Boston. Because in my mind, I'm like, you guys started this. This is all your fault. I want to watch you lose to your own monster there, Frankenstein. <laughs> but let's see here. My number three. Ooh. My number three would have to be. We, we said we didn't want to do this with Jordan, this Jordan, that Jordan, this Jordan, that, but I got to 1997 NBA finals. Jordan's buzzer beater. In game six to win the finals. It, it, it was the absolute storybook. I'm sorry. Was it? That would be 98. Nine, 98. I'm sorry. I don't, don't care about the year. I remember just watching it happen and just being like, this is the perfect send off for Jordan. Like it, it couldn't have been scripted any better. Gets away with a bit of a shove. Like he did for his entire career. Pulls up for that mid range jumper drills it. And you just have that iconic shot of him putting up that jumper as well. And that, that one, that, that one for me was the first time in my life, really watching the NBA where I'm sitting there going, you know what, that is how a superstar ends a career. Like it kind of set the tone for me going forward of just in any sport. If there's a really popular veteran on that team, there's a small corner of my brain that then says, retire, call it. She just had the perfect send off every time. Like even for the Tampa Bay this year, a team that I root for, there was a small part of my brain that was like, Brady, right off into the sunset. This was the perfect ending. Just do it. But he obviously did it. So yeah, for, for me, that'd be my number three. Jordan's game winner against the Jazz, 1998. Okay. Now, one thing we should clarify. Yes. These memories don't have to be positive. That is a fair point. So for me, my number two is going to be a tie. Okay. They're from the same year, the same series. Okay. You can probably imagine where I'm going with this. I, I have a few ideas, yeah. Number two, Courtney Lee blowing the layup to beat the Lakers in game two of the NBA Finals because, oh my gosh, it was a layup and it would have won that game of the Finals. And my part two to that is Jameer Nelson essentially refusing to guard Derek Fisher for multiple big games in that game four that ultimately allowed the Lakers to push out to a 3-1 lead. Yeah. 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 Jameer Nelson had no business being on the floor. Absolutely none. And you know what's a shame about that one? Jameer Nelson was so good. But he was that is so good, but then, he, but then he got hurt. Yeah, That was absolutely, not just when he got hurt, that moment in particular was entirely when as I like to say, the wheels just completely came off the tracks for Jameer Nelson, like for the, really the rest of his career. Yeah. At that point, he just, he never, he never fully came back from that NBA finals. He just didn't. Um, my number two, I'm going to keep them positive because I get to do this. Um, it's a tie as well. You can have a tie. I'm going to have a tie. Um, my number two would be May 31st, 2007, 
LeBron scores like the final 30 points in a row in a double overtime thriller against the Pistons to kind of seal the fact that the Cavs were going to win the East that year and take it to the NBA Finals probably a good year or two ahead of time from what they should have. I mean, my God, you look at the starting lineup for that team. It, how LeBron got that team to an NBA Finals, I will never know. But it is further proof positive of my belief that true superstars, true generational talents can bring the best out of anybody and get a team to that level of being a contender. So that'd be part one. So it was also the same day as my high school graduation. I got to graduate, and then I drove home in time to catch the entire second half and overtime of that game. And that was just, that was just so cool to watch that and see that whole thing play out. And then my second one as part of this tie here, I will go a little bit bittersweet. How, how could any person not have on their list Ray Allen's shot for the Miami heat against the San Antonio Spurs? Right. I, I mean, you, you talk about a guy, again, kind of going back to Jordan, a guy closing it out, doing what they have done best and better than anyone else in the league history of the NBA still standing. You tell me to take Ray Allen or Steph Curry, I'm taking Ray Allen in a three-point contest. Simple as that. But that one there, games, it was game six, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, game six drills that off-balance three-pointer, just, oh. Uh, uh, Again, one of those moments where I'm sitting there going, God, I really don't want the Heat to win. But, oh, my God, what a shot (laughs) at the same time. So that'd be my tie at number two. And then, obviously, I feel like you know what my number one is. My number one, of course, has to be the Magic beating LeBron and the Cavs to go face the Lakers in the finals because they have uh, they have never been quite as good since uh, since that point. That, that's that's fair and 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 my number one is the last ten minutes of Game Seven in the 2016 NBA Finals. Hands down, it, it's I, I I was out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean on a cruise with my family watching game seven in a bar surrounded by golden state fans and one astonishingly drunk Dallas Mavericks fan. Like it's impressive. The guy was upright and speaking in complete sentences, but I, I I remember I, I could tell you if I went on that ship right now, I could tell you where I was standing when LeBron had his block when Kyrie had his shot where Kevin Love absolutely face guarded Steph Curry and stopped him from drilling the three. And then exactly what chair seat and cushion I flipped over when the buzzer sounded and Cleveland had won its first championship in over 50 years. It's that, that, I could think of a million other moments that are in the top five. None of them are going to beat number one game seven, the final 10 minutes of that 2016 NBA finals. And I was very happy to be in Alaska when all that was happening. (laughs) You were very happy to be in Alaska. Absolutely. 
Let's get get me as far away from the Continental Forty Eight as because I can. All, I, I I would have not enjoyed dealing with uh, with those Cavs fans over over that couple month period. <laughs> you know, here's the thing: you can't call it Cavs fans. That was Cleveland fans at that point. That 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 was a fifty plus year citywide panic attack about championships, and. It, it that's really what made it cool as well. Also, it convinced me if I ever want Cleveland to win anything, I have to be like out of the country in international waters for it to happen. So if the Browns make the Super Bowl this year, I'm not going to be able to see it because I'm going to find me like a tugboat or something like that and sail out in the waters and just listen to it on the radio, I guess. But <laughs> well, and you just you just made your case for why the Indians couldn't win uh, against the Cubs, so. Oh, I stand by that one. I, the fact I was in the state and in the city at that point, I jinxed them. I completely jinxed them because I know I clearly have that kind of power. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> now let's uh, let's take a transition and we'll talk talk a little food as only only Matt and I can. We both uh, both big food aficionados is one one way of putting it. Let's just call it as it is. The plus in Lance and Matt plus should almost be plus what we're ordering for dinner that day. Because <laughs> we find a way to get food in the conversation pretty frequently. Yeah. yeah. This food's amazing. Well, of course. So I, I, I'm absolutely on board with this. So let's do it. So for me, I feel I feel like my picks are almost going to be too chalk, at least for four of them. You can't go. Ch- you can't go too chalk when it comes to summer food. It's it, it is what it is. So for me, I'll just run down through mine, and then you can you can talk about yours, Matt. For me, the one specific item that this this one's more harkening back to my childhood, and I have I would be I would be surprised if these are even still a thing, but I vividly remember we used to have these Flintstone orange cream push pops. Yes. And I I remember those over the summers, probably when I was like 13 or 14, like in that range. I remember those and we'd get out of the pool and have one of those. And those, those hit different. Those really hit different. Oh, uh, on a hot summer day, you get out of the pool and you get the Flintstone push pop. doesn't matter what age you are. You're right. That, that just hits so different. Ooh, that that's a solid choice right off the shoot. And then for for number four, I mean bratwurst. I th- feel like I feel like a lot of a lot of summer just revolves revolves around grilling and being able to be outside and grilling all those things that you can grill inside during the other months. But th- there's there's a certain there's a certain feeling in the air once you're outside and you have the grill going and you know all those different things going. So for me, bratwurst four, and then the same vein for two and three for me in hot dogs and hamburgers tradition every year of watching the hot dog eating contest on 4th of July because you you, ha- you have to in my, in in my household it's it's one of the few it's one of the few things like fireworks fireworks are cool they are cool but it's not 4th of July if i haven't watched the hot dog eating contest yeah it's uh, you know what i'm all, i'm almost tempted to give you a pass and just say grilled foods <laughs> on that one so that way you can add more to your list because I, I feel kind of bad that you're letting three spots be taken up by bratwurst burgers and hot dogs when in reality is just grilled meat it's that's yeah. kind of should just be universal when it comes to summer yeah but nonetheless and then number one i mean 
the only way you don't like this is if you're like lactose intolerant. And even then you probably are, you probably don't care because of how good it is. And that's just ice cream in general. Ice cream's the bomb. I'll give you that one. I- ice cream's a solid choice. Except it's not okay. so solid at times. <laughs> oh, oh, soft serve joke. I love it. <laughs> Look at you go. Oh man. Okay. So that, that solid list, by the way, I, I have no notes. I mean, the only note I would have if I did have a note is that your top five really is just two separate categories, frozen ice cream treat and grilled animal. Well, yeah. It's like, I almost feel like I should give you a pass and be like, okay, come up with three more type of thing. But Sierra, for me, uh, side note, I know what we need to do with this show. With respect to our intro guy. How much money can you put together for us to get Richard Shea, the guy from the Nathan's hot dog eating contest <laughs> to record an intro for oh, us? Oh man, his his intros every year are fire. That that if you ever want to get motivated and also be crying that you're laughing so hard, just YouTube search Richard Shea intros. Uh, I, I mean, he's compared Joey Chestnut to a messianic figure on a cold wasteland of a nation. <laughs> he does the rap with the guy every, oh man, that that's something we should look into. We should look <laughs> into that because 4th of July weekend, if we can have a Richard Shea introduction, not going to lie, I think I could check everything else off my bucket list and die happy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so my top five. Um, Number five for me, I'm going to go with burgers. And I'm just going to make the statement that that's also covering all grilled foods of hot dogs and bratwurst as well. You just kind of throw them all in together. Um, Number four for me is going to be ice cream in all of its many splendid forms. So I love ice cream. I I just, I I probably love it too much. It's probably part of the problem. But... (laughs) I, I do love some ice cream. Uh, like a good milkshake on a hot day is just great. Getting a Sunday, getting a cone or something like that when you're out and about. It's just, it, it makes you feel good. It just makes you feel good. Um, Number three is a little bit of a wild card. And I'll have to do a little bit of explaining for me. It's um seafood, like crab, shrimp, stuff like that. Cause I don't think, I don't think that from, needs that big of an explanation for the summer. Well, not for the summer, but considering we're Cleveland and North Northern Ohio, it needs a little bit of explanation. Cause my family, you're not officially from Ohio unless you've gone to Myrtle beach at least once for a vacation. Just, I'm pretty sure that's a bylaw of being an Ohio resident. Well, I'm not an Ohio resident then in that case. Well, we'll have to fix that. I think you'd love Myrtle beach. There's sand, there's water and there's food, a healthy amount of food. One of those places being the seafood buffet that if you get there by three o'clock, it's like $15 off from a $25 buffet and there's no time limit. So practically you can just, you know, set up shop there. So for me, summer means time at the beach, then going for an all you can eat buffet and eating way, way more than I should and probably having a concern about mercury poisoning at some point in there as well. Number two, and this, this, again, this one's a, a, a little bit of a, 
different one. For me, it's pizza. Because I, when I think summer, I think driving around, hanging out outside with the family, out by the pool. Gets way too late. So instead of having dinner, instead of cooking something, you order that big half sheet pizza for the family. And it just, like you said with the Flintstones pops, that just hits different on a Saturday night in mid-June or mid-July, just hits different. And then my number one, bar none, without question, the singular best summer food item is an ice-cold Coca-Cola after a whole day outside. Simple as that. I am a man of simple tastes. Got an ice-cold Coke on a hot summer's day is definitely one of those, as you said, hits different. That that hits different from different. I mean, though, if we're going to talk drinks... Summertime drink. I don't. I as good as Coke is, you're not topping lemonade for me. Oh well, hold on, hold on. This is important. We talking homemade or prepackaged lemonade? Well, homemade. Okay, then in that case, you got a fair argument because the prepackaged <laughs> stuff that's practically sugar water with a little bit of lemon flavoring. But okay, a, a good homemade lemonade, I'll give you that one. A good iced tea, a good sweet tea. Can't get good sweet tea unless you go south of the Mason Dixon line, though. That's just a fact. Um, and, and technically, since this is a podcast and not a traditional radio program, uh, there, there's nothing that beats, you know, a, a, a nice cold, fresh one, like a Bud or a Budweiser on that one. America's premier choice on their cold beer beverages or margarita. Margaritas always work too. Jimmy Buffett did have an entire psalm dedicated to it after all. That is true. So, yeah, I mean, we could do summer drink, but yeah, but that'd be my top five. It would be my top five overall there. Rounding it out with an ice cold Coca-Cola. Yeah, I uh, I don't have notes, but I do uh, I do have something I promised to play for you that I didn't get to squeeze in before. Oh, that's right. You said you had a you had something put together. Let, let's hear it. You're an no, idiot. No. You're an idiot and you don't know basketball. Are you hitting me with that because I said the Wizards were going to win? You're an idiot. You're an idiot and you don't know basketball. (laughs) Now it's a show. (laughs) Now now it's a full lid. We can put a full lid on this one. Bruce Drennan has dropped one. You know what? We need to get him on the show. (laughs) He should be on the show. He's like our unofficial third host. Oh, gosh. So that there's our homework for the next time because we've extended our breaks in between shows by like a few extra days. So in like 97 days between now and episode 10, we need to get Richard Shea to do an intro for us. And we need to get Bruce Drennan on the show. That that's that's all I know. Maybe we could get him to actually record. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. You don't know. Insert sport. <laughs> Just see which ones he'd go with. Oh gosh. You're an idiot. You're an idiot and you don't know basketball. Is it, wait, hold on. Hold on a second. Is that you saying basketball? No, that's Stephen A. That's Stephen A? Okay. I, I'm, I'm trying to hit, hit it one more time. 
You're an idiot. You're an idiot and you don't know basketball. Okay, that is definitely sad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so good. That's so good. That's a great way to close things out. Let me tell you what. That's textbook right there. Yes, that certainly is, of course. Please rate, subscribe, review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. That's so you can help this passion project of Matt and myself grow. And we'll be back shortly, hopefully not as long between episodes this time for our next edition of Lance and Matt Plus. Thank you, of course, for listening, and have a great rest of your day, everybody.